You're listening to the Barry Egan Tapes on News Talk. I'm Barry Egan from the Sunday Independent. And tonight I'm lucky enough to have Anne Doyle as a guest. Anne, thanks for coming in. Barry, as ever, always <laughs> a pleasure. Just take me back to, you're 17, you came up to Dublin. To st- you were what was it, studying English at UCD. You were staying in a house in, where was it, Harold's Cross and the, with the nuns. And the nuns asked you to leave. Why, why did they ask you to leave? Well, I only got to Harold's Cross, Barry, after the nuns had asked me to leave. Yeah. Um, well, you see, I had been in boarding school for five years and I was always a mischievous girl. And um, so when I got to Dublin, all my Christmases came at once and I didn't sign in every night at 11.30. But, you know, I got there. You actually said once that they fecked you out, the, the nuns. They, well, they were very good about it, actually. They didn't write to my mother which was the most important thing, even though she was the woman who knew me best and would not have been shocked, but I suppose would have been a little bit worried. Why wasn't? Why wouldn't she have been shocked? Because she knew I was a brat and because I was her youngest child and because she loved me dearly and because I was very like her because yeah. she was full of mistress for herself, Barry. But why did she allow you to go up to Dublin on your own then? Because there was no stopping me. There was no gainsaying me. And also because it was the only way to go when you were the child of poor working people in the country. And I was lucky enough to get scholarships and grants and all that stuff along the way. And my mother would never have been so selfish or foolish as to stand in my path. And my father was smart enough to go with it. When did they realise that you were... Is it OK to call you a bit of a wild one when you were younger? And even uh, now? I was, look, <laughs> I had five brothers ahead of me. I think probably the best way to describe it would be a tomboy would be the polite way. You might want to call it wild if you liked, whatever you think yourself. You I leave a, that judgment to you. But you had a boyfriend with a motorbike at the yes. age of 14 and he used to whisk you off to the... Um, Morris Castle. To, to the seaside, yeah. Was Morris that a- Castle, Carn, all those lovely places. Yep. Uh, of course I had a boyfriend when I was 14. I'm I was gorgeous were you getting, when I was 14. Were you, get, were you getting a lecture before you left from your parents? Um, I did have a little bit of difficulty after the first outing on a Sunday. My mother, daddy was absolutely horrified. He was a very old-fashioned countryman. Come to think of it, it wasn't that old-fashioned. I mean, for God's sake. Well, was... Any father wouldn't want his 14-year-old yeah, yeah, yeah. going the yeah, back yeah. of no, a motorbike. My father was, was absolutely correct. And like a good Irish father, he passed it over to my mother and she said to him, you really mustn't do this again. But I was absolutely... What did you do? I, well, I didn't... That's not for us to disclose, even, even on radio, Barry. But... Uh, I did your mother say to you like if you come back to this house with a, a she a, said to a, me a ba- baby in your belly you you really mustn't do this again uh, so the following Sunday I, I did, did it, it again, again. Yeah. yeah is that the kind of girl you were well you see I was in love you know I was always a sucker for love Barry I mean I know you're a great man for love yourself but w- w- did she threaten you that if anything happens you're going to end up in a convent or something oh not at all don't be ridiculous my mother wasn't that kind of woman. She was full of joy and yeah. full of happiness. And if God forbid I had been foolish enough and had taken up with a foolish man, and he was not a foolish man. He was a lovely, lovely man. But if, God forbid, I had ended up pregnant, I would never have ended up in a convent. Because remember that when we're busy discussing these social issues, people's families didn't step up either. Had the worst come to the worst, and it probably would have been at that age, my my family would have stepped up. They wouldn't have been too pleased, but they would I, have stepped up. I was up. actually only joking about a convent, but anyway. Um, 
take me back to the, the nuns and what, what, what. So you came up here. What were you planning to do with your life? Well, to be honest, postpone the idea of work as long as humanly possible, which in fairness... But, I, you, but you did 30 years at RTE, if not longer, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. But some of that wasn't really work. Some of it was great fun, <laughs> particularly in the early years. Um, yeah, but I, I was never what you'd call enthused by the idea of work. However, I have a very good work ethic. Which is what? Well, I mean, I will do whatever needs to be done and I will do it to the best of my ability. But let me put it this way. Had I been born rich... Probably never would have done a day's work in my life. Really? Well, I think I would have done the things that interested me and that might constitute work, but in a different way. I wouldn't have actually gone to work every day to earn a wage, but come on, we all do that. You do it yourself, my dear. Yeah. What did you inherit from your father? Complexity, I think. Um, my father was a very quiet countryman who was infinitely more complex. I, I, I think I was pretty well grown up insofar as I ever have become grown up uh, before I realised what a complex man he was. You know, it was easy to take him as just an easygoing country man, but he had um, a very interesting mind. And I always felt that he, more even than my mother, who was full of joy, uh, would have benefited from the opportunity of having had um, an education, as in the sense of a formal education. Uh, he had all the education that a countryman gets from nature and from life, something that I frankly would rate far more highly than I would rate academic. But I think he had a sort of mind that would have enjoyed that. And uh, I think it held him back a little and maybe frustrated him slightly. Yeah. Did he get to see you become... And oil on the on the on the on the TV. No, no, no. We lost him. We lost him a couple of years uh, before that. And my mother, regrettably, a year after she died, very quickly, very dramatically. I was away in Spain. She just had a sort of autoimmune thing where her system crashed. And uh, I always thought my mother would live forever. Well, there's a time in your life, Barry, where you think we'll all live forever. Now we're beginning to have reservations. And your your sister died of cancer at the age of 48. That's right, yeah, Eilish. She was a fabulous woman. She was, let me say that, not because she was my sister, because she was really a fabulous woman. And I'd have to, in all honesty, say um, she and I were quite unalike. She was a good, decent woman and highly intelligent. And I had the pleasure of meeting... Uh, when I was visiting an old friend who was dying, gosh, this is very morose, um, out in the, the hospice in Rahini, I, I met a nun who nursed her for the last few days that she was in hospital. Um, before that, she was staying with me. I'm happy to say I was able to manage that. And the nun said to me, your sister had the finest intellect I've ever met, which I thought was a most magnificent compliment. Yeah. And your, your brother, John, your eldest brother, John, he died yes, of the Yes, my same. eldest brother, I'm afraid, we also lost in his 50s. But the rest of us, in our own curious way, we're all holding together very well. I think the rest of us are going to live forever, possibly. And your your sister, um, was it art? She lived quite a healthy life, like in terms of healthy eating. Oh, extraordinary. Is that, did you get a philosophy from her, that in the sense that you might as well just live as wildly or not wildly as... Well, to it, tell you the truth, I was kind of going that way anyway, you know. It, but But I mean, let me put it this way. When you look at somebody who didn't drink, didn't smoke, was as fit as a fiddle, grew her own vegetables, baked her own bread, 
had a really healthy lifestyle, not because, you know, she had any obsession about it or anything, but that's just the way she was. And she's dead at 48. Uh, I realised I was on the right path. Yeah, because earlier when I was making, um, asking you about your, the guy on the motorbike and stuff like that, you kept saying, God forbid, God forbid. When your sister dies at 48, do you believe in this God person? Well, look at... Do you I'm, have a faith? I'm 67 years of age and I was reared a Catholic. And the older I get, I suppose, the more we live in hope, even if we don't actually feel it. And also... What are you hoping for? Well, I remember hearing uh, an interview with the late Larry Cunningham and I was young enough to burst out laughing at the time when he was asked what was his wish in life. And he said, the grace of a happy death. And I, being young and thinking I would live forever, thought, what a funny thing to say. But I don't think it's funny anymore. I hope to live well and die fast. And also, I did have the rather unusual experience of my brother John seeing my mother before he died, before he knew he was ill. And she had been dead since 1979. So while I am actually of a you know, reasonably scientific mindset, I don't know how that happened, but it happened. So when somebody explains that to me, I lose hope. Yeah. So do, do you go to mass? Not at all. I commune with my gods. So when you're, when you're, do, do you pray? Barry, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got a pain across your chest, do you pray? <laughs> Pick up the phone. And <laughs> not to God, to the hospital. I pray like everybody. Yeah. Pretty well. Yeah. Did whatever about your your father ever getting to see you become and all inverted commas on the on the TV? Did the nuns ever get to see you become and all inverted commas on I the TV? I suppose they did, but we had I had um, the best put down a great put down in life is something you always cherish. Uh, the the teacher who was the principal in the very small girls' school in Ferns that I went to. Uh, she was a formidable lady. And I have to thank her. She's no longer with us either. But I have to thank her for really most of the opportunities that have come my way in life because she was, oh, she was tough, but she pushed you. And when I went to work in RTE and it wasn't the kind of glamour thing that people have about television now, you know, where everybody seems to want to be on television one way or another. It wasn't quite like that, but it was still regarded as, wrongly, as being quite glamorous. And... uh, one of my neighbours said to her, God, isn't it great? See Anne Doyle, young Doyle there from Cooler Tour yeah. is after getting a job in RTE. And she said, such a pity, such a clever girl. What was the reaction in RTE? I'm just curious, you were reading the news and yet you, for a time you were going out with a government minister. Well, there's no photographic evidence that I ever did, Barry. We were acquainted. Yeah. What was the reaction? We had certainly, there was... Was it that you didn't care? You don't care, really? It's your Well, life. there was unpleasant exposure in the newspapers, in the now defunct news of the world. I rarely shed a tear for its passing. Um, nor indeed do I shed a tear for the journalist who stood outside my hotel room when I was working for RTE in Tralee and pretended she was somebody with a tray with my breakfast except that I would never dream of asking anybody to bring up my <laughs> breakfast. So here's to you, girl. 
that being said, um, my colleagues were quite magnificent. Um, wonderful man, Kevin Healy, very prominent barrister now, rang me on Monday morning and said, are you okay? With all the nonsense of people in cars outside the house and all that rubbish. And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And he said, but what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to go to the hairdressers to go to work, Kevin. And he said, good girl, good cork man. And my friend Geraldine Harney arrived on Sunday, like all good country people, with a ham and a bottle of whiskey. And I said, ah, come on, Geraldine, it's not a wake, for Christ's sake. But I, I, I welcome them. But do you think Kevin's question was a broader one? What, what are you doing? Not at all. No. He just wondered, what were they going to do with me? I hadn't done anything that was... Well, first and foremost, let me remind you, there was no photographic evidence of us ever being in the same place at the same time. OK, we'll, we'll move on um, slowly. Good man. Do, do you ever um, regret giving so much of your life to RTE? That you, you can't walk down the street? Like, it's always, that's Anne Doyle, for, you know. Ah, come if, on. Uh, it, no, I don't, actually. I had no idea what it would be like. I'd have to say that. How would I? You know, I didn't have that sort of background, so I hadn't a clue. Um, no, I don't. I think, in fairness, RTE was pretty good to me. And I had, you know, some experiences that I would have preferred not to have had. Some of those were down to my own foolishness. Which were? Which were uh, those I don't, not go into. Those I would absolutely not bother dwelling on. We'd have to have a camera for that. Yeah. And slides. Um, no, uh, overall, I'd have to say... I was very well treated by RTE and had a good time. I had a lot of fun, a lot of interesting experiences and I don't believe in looking back anyway. That was then, today is today. Are there any particular, give me, an, give me a few fun experiences you had. Well, when I started, it was a kind of a different world. It really was. I mean, I know everybody says that, but you've got to remember this was kind of pre the internet pre-computer. But as a, as, a, as a girl up from Ferns, the village of Ferns, suddenly on RTE, were you out every night, you self-admitted mischievous side to you, were you out every night in Leeson Street going clubbing no, and all the rest? No, I only am out in Leeson Street now because I live there. Yeah. Um, no, I, I never did the nightclubs thing much. But in those days when you were at an RTE, Barry, you didn't have to go to Leeson Street to the nightclubs. Where did you go? Well, in those days, we all just went to the pub and we have the height of crack. And yeah. uh, we had our own little social world. Um, no, I, I, I never I never kind of took to the nightclub scene. I, a tiny bit more private than that. Yeah. Or maybe a tiny bit more, maybe smarter than that. Yeah. Tell, tell me about like your, your pri- not your private side, but your inner, inner Andoyle. Right. Well, what would you like to know about well, I, her? I know you're like, Patrick Kavner and that, you know. Like, okay, so what do I love? Yeah. Okay. In no particular order. I love music. Bruce Springsteen and stuff like that. And I saw, saw you. I like the blues. To, Best yeah. of all, I like the blues. What is it about the blues that, that sort Don't of. Don't know. It touches me. Yeah. touches me in the heart. Um, before I came down to you, uh, I, I had many, uh, many, many mundane but necessary things I intended to do this afternoon. And I just didn't bother. So I listened to Rory Gallagher. It kind of went downhill from that. Uh, I listened to Muddy Waters. Yeah. I gave Bruce a whirl. Yeah. Um, I listened to Jim Crochet. Hadn't listened to him in a long time. So I love music. I love poetry. 
Now that sounds really kind of blah. I love poetry, but it, it would. I be, love the it, romantics. It, it, would, it would be blah if it was Palmeiras, but you, you know, you like Patrick Kavanagh. No, I love, the, I love, I love the English romantics. I particularly like. I got a lovely book. Uh, I was out in Torquay there recently, and there was an event on. And I is it true you were spotted on a motorbike? Yeah, <laughs> that was another motorbike incident. We wouldn't even bother going there. Um, but there was, a, there was a little. Do you have a fetish for motorbikes or something? I don't have a fetish. I just have like. A, bikes. Do you have a motorbike in your bed? bedroom just like bikes. With Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, but there was a, there was a lovely stand there. The chap actually, I think he's called the Magpie Bookshop. I believe you can buy stuff online. But I got a lovely um, eighteen eighty five Shelley. Um, I like Byron. I like Keats. I like Shelley. In Ireland, obviously, I love Kavanagh. Um, but I like, look, I kind of like lyrical poetry and I like also the earthiness of Kavanagh. Yeah. And I think he combines. And for me, Kavanagh is particularly important because as a country person, he resonates with you in, he was the man who understood the clay and yet, and the cold water bedsits that people like me lived in. I mean, my friend Mary Fanning once said to me when we were driving around Dublin, you know, when you die, Doyle, they'll put a blue plaque on any street you didn't live in at a cold water bedsit because it'll be cheaper. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, there's a, there's a, I, I, I get Kavanagh if that isn't... Do you want a plaque? An imper- no, I don't want a plaque. I had a bloody stamp. That was enough. I was reminded of it last week when I was out in... I'd forgotten about that. Very, yeah, so had I. <laughs> and they produced the stamp and I was mortified, to be perfectly frank. They said to me, you got licked behind the ears a lot. And I thought, oh, my God, what have they found out about me that I have forgotten? And then it was it was a stamp. Don't tell the nuns. Um, so what's your life like with, with Dan McGratton? Are you like, sitting up at night reading Kavanagh to each other aloud? Um, no. He he does Shelley and you do... Um, no. No, 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 no. He hasn't the remotest... Well, he... He, he has the voice for it, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he might have a kind of a passing... He understands my business with Kavanagh that's never to be touched how did he woo you not on a motorbike I hope um, I met him I knew him obviously when McGrathens was a restaurant and I I knew his brother Robert his older brother who had the first record pressing you understand the music is there uh, and they were in that line of business but I met him quite casually one evening after a musical he was there with his family, I think, at the time. And I said to him, oh, Dan, this is terrible. That There doesn't appear to be any vodka here. And he said to me, stay there and I'll be back to you in five minutes. I was there with a pal. And he came back with multiple glasses of vodka. This is disgraceful, Barry, but can you imagine? Is that not enough to make you love somebody on a particular night when you don't want wine and you don't want Prosecco and you don't want champagne, just want vodka before you go home? So I kind of had a sweet spot for him after that. So do you have a glass of vodka every night before bed? Uh, I wouldn't put it that way, but I might have the odd one along the way in the course of the evening. No, Dan doesn't, as the fellow says, he doesn't do the poting, but... Uh, doesn't do the what? The poting, Paddy Kevada said. Yeah. I think his expression was, I'd poke the shite out of that crowd, if you look him up. Um, but uh, he is as smart as fresh paint, as good as gold, and he has the heart of a warrior. How would you describe um, um, yourself then? Maybe a little blown by the wind. But I hope that I too have the heart of a warrior. And I know that 
Lochgormadabu is written on my heart. When did you need the heart of a warrior? Were there times in your life that were particularly tough? Barry, I think you need the heart of a warrior every day. Yeah. Just in case. Um, yeah, there were times that were very tough, but I suspect that Quite is it lo- like what, what you walked A lot out? of that was my own fault, frankly. Like what do you mean? Well, bad choices, you know, foolish decisions. You know, sometimes you stay in a relationship maybe that you shouldn't stay in. Most people, I think, would know what I mean when I say that you look back on things and not with regret, but... But why did you stay in them then? Why does anybody stay in anything? Maybe because you didn't have the courage to leave. Maybe because you what? had a loyalty. Why Who knows? You, why didn't you have the courage to leave? Are you talking about the, the fella from Belfast? That's right. Why didn't you have the courage to leave? I couldn't imagine you not having the courage to, to, to do something. Well, well, I suppose because, in fairness, for a number of reasons, in no particular order, because I did care about him, and also because he was having a very tough time, and I'm a very loyal person, and I don't walk out on my friends. That's something when you left RTU, the, 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 was it uh, Killian de Poir said that you were very, one of the, she described you as a very loyal, um, what was the phrase she used? I know, believe in know, loyalty. Yeah, that you believe in loyalty and of all the people she's worked with that you were one of the most loyal that she's, she's met. Yeah, what I know. I mean, I mean I'm, well, to me, you stick with your friends and if that friend happens to be your partner, your lover, your whatever, that may make it more complicated. But, I think, you know, if your friend is your friend and they tell you, that, you know, they've killed somebody, you just set about finding somewhere to bury the body. What makes you laugh about life, the world? Increasingly myself, I have to yeah. say. <laughs> I had the pleasure uh, uh, just in the last short while of uh, bumping into a couple of mornings um, my, my old colleague and friend, David Handley, who's living very near me now, and uh, we ended up just we ended up just falling around laughing at ourselves. You know, the passage of time is uh, in some respects, um, it's a sobering business, you know, bits fall off you and mobility gets impaired. I'm happy to say my the bits are welcome to fall off. The mobility is fine. Stop that. Have you ever had anything done to the bits that might have fallen off or might not? You have? mean like. Anything. What people nowadays call work. Yes, have you had work done? Well, if you have a look across the table at me, unless you're acutely short-sighted, you will see that I have not. Okay. No, I... I, 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 I. No, I, I, by the way, that's... No disrespect to anyone who has. No, no, no good luck to them and all the rest of it, no. I have neither the inclination nor the money for that sort of thing. But I'm, I'm working on my fine mind, Barry. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm doing bits to it all the time. Do you ever miss the, being on the TV? Not in the slightest. You just walked out that day. Well, what, what date was it? December 25th, I was never cut out for the TV, Barry. 30 years later, you're saying that. You did 30 years there. Yeah. I remember, actually. Was I, it a reverse psychology you used out there in RTI? I got, no, honest this. to God, I got a lovely um, compliment at, in the Sunday Indo from Emer O'Kelly. She wrote a lovely piece uh, when I left RTE. And she mentioned a conversation we'd had maybe a month before or whatever when she knew I was leaving and she said to me um, well do you not think Anne that you know that you will miss this and I said to her I'd entirely forgotten this but I saw the piece in the in the Sindo uh, I said no I never really liked it anyway and she had a wonderful that was it and a final line well who'd have thunk it yeah. and that was I thought it was it was a lovely lovely compliment uh, I cherished it and do you get wherever you go, do you, people come up to you and, and... Oh, 
funny enough, they still remember me. I mean, I would have thought they'd have completely forgotten me by now, for God's sake, it's nearly eight years. Uh, well, I can imagine a certain, it depends on the demographic group. Uh, youngster, but youngsters uh, know me because the Instagram thing, I don't do any of that, obviously. It's an age thing. But I have been taken up by a lovely young man called James Kavanagh, uh, and he does all the Instagram stuff. Uh, so my stock has soared with young people now. They say to me, oh, James Kavanagh said this and James Kavanagh said that. <laughs> well, there you go. What have you learned about age? About age? Yeah. Is there any wisdom that's been passed on to you? Wisdom, how are you? I've, I, I have learned what I always knew but hadn't uh, dwelt on and haven't yet quite come to accept. It's inevitability. The only difficulty, in my opinion, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, fairly robust, good health, which so far I've been lucky enough to have, the only difficulty is that the sands of time are running out. That's all. None of the rest matters. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm kind of with the people who prefer quality to quantity. So I don't know how I would feel. You know, if you were asking me this question, Barry, when I, for example, if I knew that I was in very poor health, Mm. I think I would have a very different answer for you. But then I don't know because so far so good. But look, hey, nobody, but you know, I'm coming back for sure as a man. I know we joked about your sister living a very healthy life and your... Your, That was kind of my excuse. Yeah. When Eilish was buried, I said, lads, that's it. I'm now going to go to hell in a handcart. To which my brother John said, well, what's new there? But but joking apart, did it give you a perspective on life? Just live every moment, really? It gave me, it did give me a great jolt because she was just such a lovely woman. And I was honoured, really, when I look back at being able to have her stay with me in those latter months of her life. And I will always remember to my you know, ex-partner, boyfriend of the time who stepped up because I was in work uh, until, you know, 10 can, o'clock Can at you night. remember some of the conversations you had with her? Well, you see, she had terror, absolute terror of death. So you couldn't really go there with her. But my friends really were wonderful. They were wonderful because I had to be at work at night because I had, you know, I needed to pay the bills. Um, and I just had very good friends who were magnificent. And she was terribly clever, bright, intelligent woman. And of course she knew she was very ill, but she simply couldn't get her head round it. So we all went along with this nonsense and she never took a drink in her life. And I used to give her, you know, uh, eggnogs and complan and all that stuff with belts of brandy in it. And she said to me one evening, Anne, there wouldn't be, now she knew I dragged like a fish, and there wouldn't be any alcohol in that with her. God, no, Edith, I said to her, of course not, sure, you're a pioneer. You know, she had the badge and all of that. Well, she said, that's okay. She was under double brandy at that stage. Why not? Yeah. Can you remember the last conversation you had with her? Yes, I can. Because she was just back in hospital for four days. And she said to me, I feel she was actually slipping into a coma. Sometimes happens people in the latter stages of any illness, I think, but particularly cancer, they will get, for example, a massive epileptic attack, which can cause all kinds of brain damage and so on. And she said to me, I feel I'm 
slipping. And I said to her, no, you're not. You're even smarter than I am. And she started to laugh and she said, no, Arlan, you're smarter than I am. Um, That's what I remember. The little bit of, you know, us, you know, joshing each other about who was smarter. She was smarter than I am. And I said, no, you're not slipping anywhere. And she just put her head back and she was gone. Uh, 24 hours later, she was dead. But she was gone. That was Eilish on the wind. Look at that, tears in the eyes. Yeah. Your your mum, Lizzie, what was she like? Utterly fantastic. Quite the most joyous woman. I mean, she left school at 12. She went to work for, I suppose, what would you call it, a servant girl? Uh, for a family quite near where I grew up. And I would imagine that was very hard. You got up very early in the morning and you lit the fires and you cooked and you cleaned and you did all of that stuff. And then she met and married my father and I have no doubt she married him. He was 11, 12 years older than her. Uh, but to have seven kids, that was hardly um, putting her feet No, no, off. well, he obviously stepped up fairly briskly when he got the opportunity. But I mean, I, I imagine Daddy would never have married anybody if it had been, you know, he'd have drifted. Um... We weren't great for marrying in our family, but um, she was the most fantastic, courageous, sporting gal I ever met. Uh, If I could be half the woman that she was, I'd be some woman. What year did she die in? She died in 79. Yeah, I was just, your sister died, was it 89? I was just curious. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 years this year. Yeah. And did you, and did she pass on things to you, your mother? I, I, my mother was away when I died. Uh, sorry. I was away when my mother died and uh, she died very suddenly. And uh, it was a, a, an unimaginable shock, frankly. Um, so it took me quite some time to get my head around it. But I was glad because of her personality and because of just how full of life and brio she was. Um, I was glad that she didn't have a long illness. And in fact, she had sent me a letter. Uh, she'd cycled into the village, as she did every morning, to go to Mass. She wasn't a bit religious. How far was that? Two and a half miles. Um, it, it wasn't religion. It was She was a sociable animal. So, you know, see the neighbours, have a bit of crack. It was a way of keeping fit. Uh, uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't keeping fit. It was what country people did. You, you know, if not, you were maybe isolated. So... She wasn't that kind of person. And she had written me a letter that morning and uh, I got it two, three days after she was buried. What did it say? Well, it's actually kind of funny in a way because uh, she was she was absolutely perfectly well, as you'd appreciate if she cycled two and a half miles that morning and back. Um, I had sent her money, God be with the days when you put money in an envelope, for her birthday, which is the 1st of August. I marked it with a glass or two this year too. Great. And uh, vodka, I hope. Uh, a drop Brandy. of vodka, a drop of bolly. Sure, yeah. you have to. My mother never touched a drop. But uh, I said to her, I, I'd thrown the money into a card, and I said to her, because I knew it was odd she didn't mention it. Did Did you get the few quid I sent you, Mammy? And I wouldn't been, you know, wouldn't have been the best daughter for sending the few quid home by any means. And she said to me, ah, no, 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 it, I, it probably gone astray or something. And I knew that she thought that chancer didn't send me the money at all. But I had. 
And it was very early September. And in the letter that morning, the damned card with the money had gone round, I think, probably the 32 counties of Ireland. Uh, but it had arrived. And she was absolutely thrilled, not for the few quid, but because she realised her youngest child wasn't a chancer. Had actually chancer had act had actually sent the money, and she was so delighted, and I was so delighted that at least that got to her. Yeah. And that day she slipped into illness and she was gone. I hope I go the same way. Would you like to live to ninety or ninety five or? If my mental faculties held up, there are those who might be unkind enough to say they're not holding up all that well at the moment, but they would be quite mistaken. If I'm lucky enough for my mental faculties to hold up, I'm quite happy, be delighted to live on. If that's slipping away, Barry, no, I wouldn't wish to. Not at all. I have no wish to, you know, drift. Uh, I mean, what are you at the end of it all? But the sum total of what goes on in your head. Yeah. That's where it's all to play What for. goes on in your head? I'm often curious. Especially now. Well, you know, handsome young men like yourself oh, drift through my head occasionally. Oh, look at that blushing as well. Um, what goes on in my head? Um, I found this summer, actually, very invigorating. I found my interests, old interests being rekindled. I don't know why, actually, um, because I had slipped into the rather bad habit of reading a lot of, I'm terribly fond of thrillers, reading a lot of thrillers and not really doing proper reading, close reading of stuff that I am actually interested in have always been. And I find this summer, for some reason, um, I hope it's not the last sting of a dying wasp, you know. Uh, I, I find that my 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 intellectual curiosity this Which, summer has been greatly rekindled. So what what are you reading then or what are you doing? I'm mainly reading poetry at the moment. Um, I'm, and I've gone back to, well, he, he hadn't missed me, but I've gone back to Shakespeare. Now, he didn't say a word. He never said he missed me at all. But um, because who else would you go back to? Like I would have always read the sonnets, particularly the love of sonnets. You see, I am a romantic. Um, but I come back to the plays as well. Is because the, is, I was very lucky when I was in, in secondary school. The Loretta nuns, we did a different play each year rather than doing two for exams. So it gave you a, a taste of at least you got a run at five or six plays. You know what I mean? What did you do? In which, um, well, Hamlet is my favourite. Yeah. And then maybe the Scottish play after that. Yeah. I'm just curious again, you and, and Dan, how does it work? What's the, what's the dynamic there? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I have a great respect for Dan. Yeah. And a great regard for him. So do I. I know you do. And I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, I would think he has a great respect and regard for me. Um. He's also a very smart man and he's a very good man. And apart from that, he puts up with me. What and he, he, you know, he How did do you put up with Anne Doyle? Probably with difficulty, Barry, quite a lot of the time, but he did it the, the really nicest thing. Um, do you fling plates or do you get moody? Is it kind of like... No, I don't get moody. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not moody. I, 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 if I am, I curtail it. I don't believe in moodiness. I think it's the most unattractive and unsexy quality. Who wants to live with, you know, Mr. or Miss Mood. But I mean, four or five weeks ago, he went to uh, a car show. He has a terrible weakness for cars. 
which is fabulous for me being a non-driver. It's a great help to me. But anyway, um, but he bought, he didn't buy a car, thank God, but he bought a red button accordion because my mother had had a red accordion. It was a piano accordion, actually. And it just came back with it. And I thought that was the sweetest thing. Uh, you know, the car a car would have meant nothing to me. He'd only be giving out about having no parking spaces or whatever. But was that not the sweetest thing for someone to do? And can you play it or did you play it? No, we are in the process of being refurbished, my dear. I will learn. My mother, my mother had the gift of music. So she actually, daddy scraped up the money and gave it to me when I came to Dublin when yeah. I was 17. And uh, I went to Walton's to buy it for him, for a gift for her. Great. And our house turned into a kind of, you know, Northern Ireland temperance hall because for a month at the time, all the tunes that she would know best would have been hymns. She wasn't religious, but we all knew the hymns. I still know them. And so she played hymns for about a month. It was, And then she could just play anything. She just had the gift. On the... The piano accordion, which is a tricky man if you haven't learned it. Uh, but she did have a friend, a great pal, who lived up in Bula Vogue, Mrs. Donoghue, and she had an accordion. And my mother would have, you know, taken it once or twice. But she just could do it. She had, And my sister also had a, a gift of music. I don't think I have a, the gift, but I have the love. I have I have the grow in my heart. Yeah. You you grew up in Ferns, as we as we know. The, the Diocese of Ferns, not the, the village, has a, a quite a bad reputation in terms of what the Catholic Church... Well, it has, but, it, you know, frankly, when the trawl through dioceses all over Ireland, uh, when that trawl was carried out, regrettably, um, the reputation was no different to anywhere else. My own home parish of Ferns and the adjoining parishes, uh, mercifully, didn't have that experience and they actually uh, emerged quite well from that particular report. But um, while I in no way wish to rush forward to defend abusive clergy, uh, I always feel it's important to point out that the great majority of instances of child abuse are those that happen within the home. And I think that is the most tragic thing of all because of course, when you look at people like uh, priests, nuns, to a very minor extent, it would have to be said in historically, as far as we know, um, teachers, sports coaches, so on. Uh, it is particularly shocking that children are abused by people in whom they place their trust. But my belief is that nothing could equal the damage done if you are abused by the people in whom you place your absolute trust and love, the people within your family home. And uh, I just think that it's perhaps something that we haven't yet quite addressed in Ireland. We have we have addressed, you know, huge. I mean, I was a child in the 50s, Barry, and the 50s in Ireland was a cruel and brutal place in many ways. Uh, it was also a very poor and impoverished place. And we're a very old country, but we're a very new nation and we had a lot of learning to do and we've a lot of learning to do still but I think it's terribly important that children should be safe and cherished within their family homes and also have the trust and the confidence to be able to 
talk to their parents. I mean, I'm a person who doesn't have children, but to be able to talk to your parents and also, if you possibly can, to stand for yourself, because in the end, you have to stand for yourself. I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) Got to be brave. Yeah. Do you ever regret not having children? No, to be honest. Um, I probably was never a very maternal person. I quite like children and I have lovely godchildren and so on and grandnephews and two wonderful nieces. But um, I suppose, apart from the fact that I I certainly never had the biological clock issue. I never had that. I never had a a moment where I thought, oh God, you know, if I don't have a child like tomorrow, um, it'll be too late. Uh, And Why weren't you maternal? I think I just never met anybody I wanted to have a child with. That would be a consideration. That may not be the only reason. Perhaps that's not the reason at all. But I never actually met somebody that I thought, God, I'd love to have a child with you. It's something I gave thought to. I, I never Did, felt, you know, you just met somebody now, and then you Please tell me if this children. is an offensive question, but would you be with, look at Dan, thank God I wish I could have had a child with you, but I can't put back the clock? Absolutely not. I have something much, much better. Dan has a wonderful daughter, Dervila, and a fabulous son, Damien, and they have welcomed me with absolute generosity into their family. I get the best of crack out of them. He's a shed load of grandchildren. He's five. Dear God, I, there are more children in my life than I even want to know about. And I don't mean that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They're also great fun and lovely people. So, no, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. Not a stretch mark, Barry. I know. What can I say? What's your earliest childhood memory? Earliest? Yeah. Well, I have two. But if we have to go with the earliest, the second well, one give me two, the second one is much better. Go on. What's your second earliest childhood memory then? My earliest one is when I was about mm, a year and a half, a year and three quarters, and I had very bad pneumonia. And I remember uh, the, the doctor, I remember lying on a tartan rug and the doctor giving me an injection and saying to my mother, hold her. Uh, and afterwards... When I was older, I remember my mother saying, because she had a house full of children and no money. And I remember her saying that the doctor said to her, will I call in to Redmond's? They would have been the undertakers and get her a coffin. My God. But he was it was a very kind man. He It was not. It, that sounds brutal. He was actually a very kind man. But you he looked heard at that. Uh, I didn't hear that. She told me that. I remember my my mother. I remember the doctor saying to her, hold her. And I remember the injection. I'd say I was about hmm, 20 months old. And I remember the, tar- the red tartan rug. I have, I still, not that rug, but I still have a red tartan rug. How does that make you feel to see the red tartan rug? It makes me feel glad to be alive. Yeah. And it makes me feel glad that my mother said to me later, we'll never have a coffin. She's alive. But my fundamental memory, which really affected my life, Probably the thing that coloured my life most was my fourth birthday, 31st of January, 1956. And I had an aunt who decided I would have a birthday party. We didn't have birthday parties, for God's sake. We were living in the country and you didn't do that. And I was only used to my brothers 
And so these other little girls from the village were invited. I didn't know them. I'd hardly ever been, probably been in the village about twice in my life at that stage. And I didn't, I didn't really like it, you know, but I, I didn't have those sort of social skills. But I remember walking down the field, there were apple trees, and then there was a ditch at the bottom, and it was kind of swampy. And there was a crane looking over the ditch. You know, it was quite a watery place. And I remember looking back at him. And he looked at me, I looked at him. And I remember thinking, you don't have to, you can. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it this way. But what I felt was, you can just be yourself. You don't have to have the birthday party with little girls that you don't know from the village, that whatever. And it has stayed in my mind all my life and probably put me on the road to happiness or ruin or freedom in the head, whatever. It's, it sounds like a Seamus Heaney poem. It was, it was probably the most important moment of my life. When I looked at that crane and he looked at me. You never saw him again? He flew off, like all the best, like <laughs> all the best guys do, Barry. Listen, Nandol, it's an absolute pleasure to have you in. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. <laughs>